Okay, so let's kick this off. Um, on behalf of the Middle East Center, a very warm welcome and good evening to our event on Abu Dhabi Disconnected. My name is Philip Rode, I'm the Executive Director of LSE Cities, another research center here at the school. Now, tonight's uh, theme is, of course, uh, the title of the seminar, but it builds on the findings and insights um, of new research on Roads as Tools for Disconnecting Cities and Neighborhoods, a socio-spatial study of Abu Dhabi. And that's, of course, code, academic code, for really understanding to what extent car-centric development is impacting on space and people, in brackets, negatively impacting. Good, and it's my absolute pleasure to introduce our panel, which I'll do right away. Um, my colleague, Alexandra Gomez, who has uh, led this research on behalf of LSE Cities, is a research center at our uh, institution, as a research fellow at our institution and responsible uh, for coordinating a whole range of uh, research projects that uh, are structured around what we call socio-spatial analysis of uh, cities. She's particularly interested uh, in questions of comparative uh, urban analytics, urban inequalities, urban health, sustainable mobility and placemaking. Our uh, second colleague who is uh, leading this project on behalf of a local Abu Dhabi-based uh, university is uh, Apostolos Kiriantzis, I hope I got this right. Greek names. Yes, Greek names. Um, who is an associate professor of architecture and urbanism um, at Abu Dhabi University. And his research focuses on architecture, urban design, urban and rural sociology. And uh, he's very much so the co-lead of uh, the project we will hear about tonight. And then to my right, to my immediate right, is Peter Schwinger who is a dear friend uh, and a transport economist and planning expert, and he served as a consultant uh, on uh, the, I guess, also more technical transport-related aspects of this project. Now, very unfortunately for us, unable to join is Clemence uh, Montagne, but she has the best reason ever. She just gave birth to her little baby, so uh, unfortunately that's why she's not with us, but with a little one. When it comes to the structure of tonight, we have a bit more than an hour. I just heard that uh, there's a bit of flexibility towards the end, uh, so we may go up to uh, 6.15. What we're going to do is we'll have four presentations of between 10-15 minutes. And in order to not just bombard you with information, we decided to uh, have this in two blocks. And the first block is really an overview on the research project by Alex and then immediately followed up by uh, an overview on the history of the development in Abu Dhabi by Apostolos. And we'll then uh, pause, take some questions. Uh, I hope we already have a bit of an uh, exchange, no more than 10, 15 minutes, to then go into the deep dive around car dependence in Abu Dhabi and the role of transport planning in particular, where Peter uh, will give a first presentation and then on behalf of Clemence uh, Apostolos, I understand you are telling us a bit more about the impact on the social life of car dependence on Abu Dhabi. If you are on Twitter, please use the hashtag uh, LSE Middle East and Abu Dhabi Disconnected, one word. 
Uh, I should also warn you that this, I hope it's not a warning, that the announce is being recorded and uh, we're going to use this for a podcast at a later point. Great, so let's immediately dive into this and uh, Alex will also provide us with a bit more of an overview of what the research really was about. Over to you. It's really a pleasure to be able to present uh, this project. It's been two years uh, of research, and we have the event later, so I hope you can join us uh, to the exhibition later. I just want to uh, highlight that this is a two-year collaboration uh, project managed by the LSE uh, Middle East Centre, but funded by the Emirates Foundation, so I want to thank the Emirates Foundation and the LSE Middle East Centre for supporting this project and for being here. And I want to thank you all for coming um, so I just want to give a brief overview of uh, why we started this project, how this project came to our mind and to this particular team, uh, and why we think that this project is important and relevant at this particular moment, and then just uh, one slide on how we thought about the project and organizing our future reports, which will be launched uh, later on this year, and that also introduces my colleague's presentation. So um, this, this all started with Resource Services, it's a project that was led by Philip Rode, who's now the chair <laughs> of, of this uh, seminar. And in, within Resource Services, we realized that roads are the backbone of development, and they have a considerable impact on how people live. And you can see that this, this, uh, the way and the impact of how people live is not only in Abu Dhabi, but it's very similar in other Gulf cities. So here we compared Q8 in Abu Dhabi uh, with Singapore and Hong Kong. And what I want to highlight from these images is uh, that you can see from the mode share in both Gulf cities, uh, the motorization rate or the, the transport mode share is dominantly private modes. Um, and that also has an impact on the way the city is developed. And you can see on the left side uh, the maps that show uh, densities of population. And you can see that in Abu Dhabi the densities are mostly uh, as, um, low density development with three or four peaks of development that often are linked to non-Emiratis, uh, non-citizens living in Abu Dhabi. And that is something that we will also highlight during our presentations. If you look into the housing typologies, which are the smaller pies, you can also see that that low density is reflected on uh, the occupation of the land. And it's mostly occupied by uh, villa types, and most of the population uh, uh, lives in a large part of the country occupying and sprawling uh, the city. Um, similar to uh, Kuwait, Abu Dhabi grew supported by roads and these maps show that uh, the, the impact of roads is big and it, they started developing the cities with roads as a backbone uh, and the development was then uh, that is infilled with, with uh, in, inside or urban streets um, and it extended and grew beyond what is the island of Abu Dhabi. So the island is very com much more compact, and you can see, not very well, but you'll see later, uh, the grid is much more compact, and then it, it, it grew into the suburbs, and it created a more a scattered 
uh, development in Abu Dhabi. And you can see that the highway length is comparatively higher in Abu Dhabi than Kuwait, uh, and that is also reflected by the number of interchanges and how you compare the two cities with Hong Kong and Singapore, which are more high-dense and more compact. Um, the, 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 the fact that this, the Abu Dhabi grew uh, with this backbone led to a leapfrog development, a sprawling city, uh, that is clearly seen by the urban development that we mapped uh, with resource urbanisms. And there's a, a big distinction between what is the center and how compact and dense is the center and how uh, low density are the suburbs. Uh, and this somehow continues the cycle of motorization and somehow continues the cycle of investment in road infrastructure to then support uh, the access to these areas. And we can see that uh, it's visible in this graphic that the speed of growth of the roads is increasing, in particular the roads that are uh, even larger than what we are used to, to, to see in European countries. So you can see that uh, four-lane roads, which are in total eight lanes, are, the, are dominant in the last few years in terms of investment. And even five, five lanes roads, which in total have 10 lanes, are growing quite fast in the last few years. And that is creating an impact and a barrier and a challenge for those who live in each side of the roads. But also supporting the traffic and the congestion, uh, supporting and making it easy for people to travel uh, and avoid congestion. But with that, you're also uh, continuing the cycle of motorization and using of the cars. However, if roads are growing and motorization is also growing, except in the last, in the last point that somehow starts related to COVID, motorization has been growing. However, the population uh, is growing, but it's the population that it's not citizen population. So motorization is growing mostly on the population that it's Emiratis, those are who can afford to have a car and those are who, who drive the most. Uh, the non-Emiratis are the dominant population. They represent around 86%, and they have been growing, but they don't. most of them don't use a car unless for particular uh, work reasons. And, and they, have the, they need to use buses, and they, they, the roads are not supporting. They're not thought of uh, for the buses, and they're not supporting the buses. So motorization rate is growing, but within a particular segment of the population who lives far away, who lives in low-density areas, uh, and who, who uh, continues travel by, traveling by car. And those who don't travel by car are getting more and more uh, apart from uh, and, and, and challenged by uh, the whole development. So I just want to uh, present some of the impacts of roads because we thought that you know it impacts people and it impacts space, but it also has uh, indirect impacts. So yes, the congestion levels have been improving, and Tom Tom's congestion level in 2021 was very low, and even compared with other cities of the Gulf. Um, but uh, the number of roads has been growing, uh, and external roads is also growing, and eight lanes represent so roads or highways with four lanes in each side already represent 50% of the external roads and they can reach at least 54 meters width so that is the distance that you have between one side of the road to the other side and then you have the right of way which I guess Peter might talk later on which is increasing the, the challenge of those moving from one side of the highway to the other 
Cars and buses represent 88% of non-commercial trips, so you can see how important the roads uh, uh, are for this particular movement. Public transport, however, in 2021 represented only 4.8%. Uh, roads cause some no, no, considerable number of deaths and injuries, and therefore there's also kind of a protection uh, to uh, pedestrians, which also creates another challenge for those who are using the streets and want to, uh, to cross the streets. And traffic accidents corresponded in 2009 to 1% of the GDP in terms of costs. Uh, there's also costs in managing and investing in roads. And we can't forget that we roads, we have parking spaces. And parking spaces in Abu Dhabi, the, the requirements is one of the highest in terms of, uh, of, of the region. And therefore, you have parking spaces supporting these roads and creating another challenges, another challenge in terms of space occupation. The UAE is ranked 10th um, in the world energy consumption per capita and second in terms of CO2 emissions per capita. And the transport sector accounts for 12% of uh, the greenhouse emissions. A third of the population is, uh, was obese in, 20, in 2000 and 40% overweight. And more recent studies mentioned 19% of the population have diabetes. So the impact is not only in terms of infrastructure and financial and economic impact, space impact, but also on health and pollution. So that is something we wanted to highlight. Uh, but roads also connect, and that's something you will see in our, in our exhibition. Roads are part of the life in Abu Dhabi, and their main mode of transport. Uh, and therefore, car is part of the way people, le uh, people uh, live. And the first thought of people when they leave their house is what roads to take where. Uh, and in a way, those who live in Abu Dhabi also say that it's good because they can live in Abu Dhabi and work in Dubai. So you're very close to Dubai, but you're very distant from the neighborhood uh, along, along or close to your house. However, because they, there are all these roads, they also create a challenge, and that's what we mainly wanted to highlight. Roads are not pedestrian friendly. They are difficult to, to create a difficulty to walk from one, say, one place to the other, and they don't contribute to physical activity. That's why uh, the obesity and diabetes are very strong in that area. Uh, and, you know, there are complaints that everyone is in its own Mac mansion and big houses and hardly goes to the street. Uh, of course, these are questions that, you know, also there are differences between the suburbs and, and the center. But in the suburbs, the boundary walls create a kind of feeling that it's weird to be on the streets. And uh, there's a need of change from those who uh, told us about their own experience. However, and that's uh, beyond uh, what I wanted to say in terms of how disconnected and connected Abu Dhabi is with roads, we, are also, we also need to address the climate emergency. There's more and more um, uh, sandstorms in this area of the world, so that's something that it's also roads and, and, and motorization are also contributing to that. Uh, we need to reduce resource consumption and sprawl, and therefore we need to rethink the role of roads in public life and in urban development. And, and also, you know, how does that affect people and how can we rethink the role of the roads that, you know, in Abu Dhabi, roads and streets are not very different. So we need to think about the role of the street 
rather than the role of the road for people. And also there is a consideration of how do we design and how do we maintain and how do we create streets that are inclusive for Emiratis and non-Emiratis. We also want to think about and reflect about improving the quality of life because that influences health, uh, socialization, and you see, and uh, my colleague Apostolos will reflect a bit on how people use public space to also create spaces of, spaces of socialization, but also work because a lot of the non-Emiratis, they work in you know, cleaning, construction, and they depend on the streets for work. So creating a proper street that has shades, that has places to sit and places to relax, but also water fountains, because we can't forget that in this area of the world, the climate is quite extreme, that is also important. So just to finish, I want to highlight that, now this is a bit of what we need to reflect now, but we also think about, we have to think about the future, and we're changing the way we're living. Since COVID, we've been working from home from time to time, or most of the time, depends on the people, but also, some of our researchers said, oh, we barely leave now the house to go to restaurants because we order and it goes, it goes to our house. So how is this affecting and how are we rethinking the role of the street for this? The new modes of motorization and, uh, and active modes and uh, you know, scooters and bikes, how, how can we address the role of these, uh, these modes and also public transport? How can we create bus stops that accommodate uh, the extreme weather and, the, and more uh, urban development in a more compact way. So finally, and before my colleagues uh, take the, the, the word, I just wanted to highlight that our project looked into how roads connect and disconnect, and we looked into, okay, how does that affect people and space, but also uh, that is not only by the presence of the roads, but also by the way the roads are designed. It's not only the width, but it's also how can, are you allowing people to interact with the roads, cross the roads, uh, even for cars? The, the, the technicity of designing the roads impacts even how much time it takes you to drive from one place to the other. And thank you. Thank you very much, Alex. Apostolos, <laughs> let's immediately move to you with your intervention, and then we'll open it up for the first round. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, so, uh, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be here uh, and represent the only Department of Architecture uh, in the city. Uh, we are affiliated with RIBA, and we are always trying to put our own uh, uh, flavor uh, into the whole equation, uh, the whole research project that uh, was an amazing uh, uh, you know, uh, team work to, to go under and, uh, and my contribution will be in that direction uh, to uh, reveal somehow or try to, to see uh, on the dynamic relationship of roads with the urban form. Um, just to give you a bit of, of context, I have to go a little bit back to the history of Dhabi, which is not really uh, that deep, it's very shallow, it's only 60 years of, of modern uh, urban history for Abu Dhabi. Of course, before the modernization of the city, uh, there are three more hundred years uh, that this place, this uh, existed, Abu Dhabi existed as a tribal village um, on a seasonal basis. Uh, if, uh, people were going there during winter uh, to fish and to have uh, to go there for the pearling season, for the pearls. Uh, so, 
they had uh, this settlement that you see on the red circle, and uh, it started getting a bit more permanent as years went by. And by the uh, uh, mid-60s, that was uh, the settlement that you see on the island of Abu Dhabi. Uh, the uh, settlement, the pre-oil settlement, was quite organic, organized on tribes, and uh, there was this main axis between the uh, palace, the Castle Hosen, as we know that, and the waterfront. Later on, uh, with uh, the coming of Sheikh Zayed into power, um, um, the first uh, oil concessions were able to streamline the economy and the development of, of the city into a new uh, capital uh, of uh, the new country of uh, the UAE that was founded in 1971. Um, plenty of uh, urban planners and architects were uh, assigned to design uh, the new capital city by, by Sheikh Zayed. Uh, I can mention uh, Harris, uh, Halkro, Arabicon, uh, Takahashi, a, a Japanese a student of uh, Arata Isozaki, uh, and uh, later on, of course, Abdurrahman Makhlouf, uh, who was influenced by the uh, vast work of uh, a Greek person again, Konstantinos uh, Loxiavis, maybe you're aware of him, uh, in the region, uh, a lot of master plans in the region uh, for the United Nations, uh, including Riyadh uh, and Islamabad and Baghdad, that uh, influenced uh, Abdurrahman Mahman Makhlouf uh, on design Abu Dhabi in 1968, based on uh, the super blocks that you see on your left slide, uh, on your left uh, image, uh, that were, uh, according to the modernist principles of urban planning, separating traffic to cars and pedestrians, organizing spaces and places for people to go there and socialize better, and of course, in a way that would enhance the Islamic traditions, uh, because let's not forget that that was destined to be the new capital of the country based on the Islamic traditions of the region. Um, later on, of course, after the island uh, was, the main island was saturated by development, uh, it had to spread to the mainland. And it happened with the 1991 uh, uh, framework plan uh, by Atkins, and uh, that was the plan that you see, the master plan on low left, that led to the birth of the suburbs as we know them today. And of course, um, it was a, a time where um, financially uh, the country was doing really well, it was able to uh, boost uh, the, the whole development through a series of highways that were uh, connecting Abu Dhabi to the other cities in the region, and through them, uh, all the in-between spaces uh, gave birth to, uh, were occupied by, by the suburbs. It was also accompanied by horizontal segregation on um, an an ethnic uh, logic, if I can say that, to nationals and non-nationals. That was uh, accompanied also by a piggyback, if I can say that, by the automobile uh, explosion during that time. In 2004, there was a shift in terms of uh, uh, power and in terms of uh, strategies. Sheikh Zayed uh, that gave birth to the city and the country uh, passed away and uh, was replaced by Sheikh Khalifa who wanted to emphasize on a more global level 
to make Abu Dhabi not just the capital of a new country but a global hub somehow and he emphasized uh, by uh, tourism and tertiary services and uh, he did that by providing even more uh, areas uh, for development mostly on the islands that were surrounding Abu Dhabi with uh, more exclusive uh, developments uh, usually for expatriates. Uh, this led together with the 2030 framework plan and the massive restructuring on the governance of the city uh, to uh, the city that we know today, to the city of uh, exclusion, to the city where the waterfront uh, mostly is uh, uh, prohibited to most of the population, a uh, few parts of it is actually truly open uh, to, to the public, uh, widely accessible by the public, and that is now uh, about to get connected to the two other cities in the region, Alain towards my side, as you see this image, and to Dubai towards north, towards the upper part of the image over there. On this uh, uh, research project, we tried to uh, depict uh, those differences and the effects of highways uh, and the local streets on neighborhoods, but on major parts of the city as well. We tried to do that by mapping um, major parts of Abu Dhabi by choosing 10 areas in particular that would be representative enough of most urban forms and nationalities that would be present there and other characteristics and we um, map them in a, a way that would uh, reveal patterns in terms of morphologies, in terms of networks, in terms of uh, public space and private space and so on. Uh, we created uh, a layered uh, uh, group of, of uh, maps uh, for that, uh, that uh, led us to uh, specific findings, but also we used other tools, even official tools that even the Abu Dhabi government is using in order to measure distances um, to public buildings uh, and uh, direct route indexes for those areas. Uh, those uh, metrics and those both qualitative and quantitative uh, uh, theories led us to a series of questions on how uh, we passed from modernism to the postmodern approach uh, uh, of the city, the city of spectacle that was um, taking cues from uh, Dubai that of course led by example next door uh, and how we are taking that and uh, into the future and um, into a city that is currently um, being uh, fighting into two fronts, one against the desert and the other one against the sea through reclamation and those islands. So uh, it's, uh, it's maybe my favorite quote, it's like a hen and egg situation that we constantly see the, between the streets and the urban form, between those two fronts that started getting a bit more crystallized after the 1991 uh, framework plan and the birth of the suburbia that led to this uh, explosion of the usage of automobiles as we know them today. Uh, so we are still looking uh, into those questions 
trying to find those answers that would lead us to, to uh, points uh, of further discussion. Uh, so, I don't know if we can, we can let's stop it here. Let's stop here, and if we all uh, reconvene on the front, and as I uh, said before, first of all, thank you very much. Let's pause for a moment before we go to the specific case of roads and how they connect or divide to maybe take questions or comments that relate to this macro overview, the bigger perspective, the histories of the city, the master planning efforts, the phases, the things you have just uh, heard. Would anyone like to come in, please? And if you could say, uh, we have a mic and say who you are and uh, what's your association. Thanks very much. Uh, very good stuff. My name is Dr. Stanislav Edward I am the founder of Environment Europe Foundation. And we went to Abu Dhabi a couple of years ago for a World Open Forum, as you did, I'm sure. Um, and, and this is where we presented this little book, <laughs> which is available for everybody to see. But um, my question is really why? You know, why, why this path? Why, why, why this approach? Is it because at the very beginning, uh, the, the founding fathers had this, well, I'm going to be exaggerating, this American dream, you know, the, 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 the car on the road in the, in the wilderness, you know, horizon and so on, and police cars doing this. Uh, or was it because the way progress was assessed at the time was GDP, 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 growth, growth, growth. Well, actually, you know, the book makes it the argument for the opposite sort of approach, a more multidimensional assessment of progress and so on, with social environment. I mean, who would, who would want to live uh, in a place like this, right? Uh, I was, I was in, in uh, Dubai uh, quite a few years ago for the Middle East uh, Urban Region Development Forum. I was interviewed and I said, well, they said, you know, what, what do you see? I said, well, the first thing I see is no trees. And the second thing I see is how dangerous and difficult, because I always, I always measure everything on foot. I just, you know, make myself a nuisance to everybody. I just walk. So, and, and in Dubai, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I saw exactly the thing. I saw that most of the beaches were private. You couldn't get there. You couldn't cross the road. There is no public transport. And it's a mess. And the question is why? Like, I think it's, it's like there is some value aspect to it. Uh, value meaning deeply held beliefs. Right. So Let's why? Perfect question. You would like to answer. Um, well, this why, I guess, is addressed to uh, the authorities that had those dreams of... Uh, well, if not for a better answer, I would say that uh, they were heavily inspired by, by USA. There, there are reports that even Sheikh Zayed uh, traveled to Manhattan and uh, he somehow idealized uh, the grid of Manhattan uh, and he saw that as uh, something that Abu Dhabi could have. Uh, he was a very practical person though. Uh, at the same time, he uh, was, I, I don't know if I can say a bit of a socialist somehow. Uh, he distributed uh, uh, quite fairly pieces of land to Emiratis only, of course. Uh, and uh, 
he saw that the only way he could do that is by such a rigid grid um, for the basic island. Of course, later on, things got out of hand with the suburbs, with uh, the uh, west expat zones, the free zones, as we call them, and uh, the whole car monopoly. I guess that it has to do with how well cars fitted the whole privacy issue, the whole emphasis on privacy, and the religious media approach, and it fitted them well. And uh, it just let the city continue to grow this, the way it grew because it was convenient to a lot of people. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Alex and then Peter. Yeah. So I, I want to say that I think along with this idea of modernization, which at the time represented the car and the roads and, uh, and also the planning system, which at the time was very much driven by zoning and segregation, I think the fact that that's what we also found out with resource organisms, the fact that they have oil and access to oil, easy access to oil, and they have land to develop. So they had the space to do whatever they wanted the way they wanted. And they had the money and, and the oil that supported motorization. And that somehow also creates a, a cycle, right? The more you develop with car, the more you tend to, uh, tend to have to support that. And so my question is more than what you're saying, because I kind of understand why at the time we thought like that is, why are we continuing like that? Why we continue to develop the, the roads instead of the streets? Why continue motorization rather than changing? Because now we know, and at the time they were not aware that CO2 emissions were bad. At the time they didn't know that you know people would be obese and with diabetes, but now we know. So my question is, I understand how it worked at the time. I just don't understand why we're not changing faster nowadays. Yeah, very, very good. Um, I, I have to say that I'm going to answer or try to answer some of the questions in, in my presentation in a few minutes. But I think there is no straight answer in terms of uh, was this the vision and the like what what the leadership actually wanted because it's it's fragmented. We have different leadership for, in terms of the sheikhs who led the country, but then also within the royal family. And at the moment, the, the leader, I mean, after 2006, and I will get to this in a, in a moment, there were actually, uh, there was a master plan, the, the, the Abu Dhabi Plan 2030, which was quite progressive. If you look at this, you wouldn't say this is an unsustainable city. They really make an effort to not develop that way. Uh, and they did. And the, que the real question is, why? Because actually there was, so within the leadership, there was one fragment, which was actually, I mean, apparently was like this Sheikh Zayed, like Vancouver. So they went to Vancouver and they basically hired the entire planning council of Vancouver to do the planning for the master plan in Abu Dhabi. And they came up with quite a progressive work, I would say. And I think many, if you read skims through the document, you would agree. And there were uh, consecutive plans and a transportation master plan who, who wasn't delivering what we see today. Um, so the question is like, why do we have these different influences, and why, why, why isn't there not one? I mean, because one, if there's any advantage of having one leader, it could be like, okay, this leader is at the end of the day deciding what's going to happen. So the question is, why did this not happen? And I think the answer to this is simply the fast pace of development. It's it's happening so fast that. Um, you have all these consultants and um, you know engineering companies coming in, presenting their their plans. Maybe they are com completely conflicting with what's written in the master plan, but they do get the go ahead 
from who's responsible, one of the royal family. I mean, the, the royal family is actually sitting on on the different um, government institution, but also maybe more importantly, sitting on the what's called the developers. So we have de urban development companies, and each of the son of the sheikhs have has its own territory where he can decide what's going to happen. And they this is quite often not uh, in line with uh, or completely you know opposite direction of what is said in the, in the master plan. And maybe maybe we should think in that direction. We need to understand the, the leadership and how it works, and it's quite intransparent. We have this, formally we have this government with all the institutions which are more or less copying the United States or the United Kingdom or something. But then behind or above or somewhere else we have this completely informal real leadership which is the shape but also the royal family. And it's completely intransparent. You can't read in the newspaper what they decided yesterday and what's going on behind those doors. And I think that's what, what we need to understand to understand this. It's a dual governance system by the same people, actually. Yes. No, they didn't go to LSD. <laughs> <laughs> that's a different conversation. <laughs> Great. So um, we, we will have more time for questions, but for the moment we should move on. Uh, so, Peter, let's continue with you on the specifics of uh, roads. Maybe one thing Philip was not mentioned, so I'm a transport planner, but I also work for the Department of Transport in for three and a half years. I lived there and I got some insight and what I'm going to talk now is, is also reflecting, reflecting on this. Um, now, as you all know, Abu Dhabi is quite keen to show its commitment to, um, to sustainability. I'm going to talk about the role of transport planning in, in the car city we have seen, or we, we do see in the exhibition and, and also in our presentations. So um, uh, Abu Dhabi is quite keen to commit to sustainability. They, they, they managed to host the International Renewable Energy Agency. They managed to, to, to host next year's the, the UN Climate Change Conference. You may have heard about Master City, which at the end of the day is maybe a failure, but at the beginning it was quite a astonishing project. So, uh, and, and more specifically, um, as I mentioned before, I think the master plans from 2000, that, that were, you know, made up between 2007 and 2009, the plan 2030 Abu and the uh, subsequent um, transportation plans and other plans were actually quite progressive. So, um, the question is why, why is there this, this discrepancy between what was planned and what, what, what we see today? Um, so what we see, and Alex was already showing the mode share graph, which you can see on the left, um, is an absolutely car-dependent city. Now we have this big, this is mode share, so it's the number of trips taken by all the inhabitants of Abu Dhabi on one day. You see 55% of the trips are by cars, a large proportion is by walking, and not because the people like walking, it's because they do not have access to any form of transportation. Now, the, the big, big red box is the collective transport, if you like, but if you look at the public bus, it's only 3.8%, so quite, quite little. So now many people associate congestion environmental impacts with, with uh, negative impacts on, on motorization, but there are others, and we talked about it, social segregation, um, the face of the city, I mean, it, it, yeah. Um, another really important point, if, if you look at the population, the car availability, um, in households, you will see that most <laughs> people, it's actually 33% in total above all the households, do not have access to cars. And that excludes even the low-income um, laborers which live in the labor camp. So this is, this is 
is excluding this part of the population. You can see that um, that's always the, the blue bar, yeah, that's car availability equals zero, they don't have a car. So one person households, 61% do not have a car and so forth. Now the bigger households have more cars available, but they are mostly the Emirati households. Few images for you. This is a bus stop um, where the low-income workers who have to wake at every morning at the bus actually took over and did what the responsible uh, administration should have done. You know, put, put some shade. Um, this is the high-income experts who actually go cycling on the Formula One racetrack. And so they take the cycle, put it in their car once a week or the second week, and, and, and go there. Um, now I'm actually asking actually exactly the, the question that has been asked already: Why? Why is there this uh, this massive? Um, uh, how did we end up with such a car-dependent city? Um, and, and, and my answers: I'm already trying to give the answers to to, um, to just to give it a structure. I think, and this is from my personal experience working there, there are three main components. The first is the failure to implement the 2030 master plan, the plan Abu Dhabi 2030. The second is the failure to introduce a high-capacity effective public transport system. And the third is an outdated road design and an over-provision of road capacity. That's very important. They just, the capacity is way, way, way beyond demand in 99% of the cases. Now, I skipped through this because I was mentioning this already. Uh, we had these master plans. Um, the economic vision and the plan Abu Dhabi 2030. And I would invite everyone to have a look. It's online. It's available. You just Google it, Urban Structure Framework Plan, and have a look, skip through it. It's quite progressive. Um, uh, this plan had, um, this is, I think, is the biggest failure, which then was like a triple down effect, which had an impact on, on, on transportation. It actually, and now I would have to, to show this, uh, it has a key component, which you see, it's called capital district. And it was something which we, urban planners would call relief city or second CBD. It was meant to actually relieve the existing CBD, which looks like this. You may be familiar with this. So this is the, the existing CBD along the Corniche. Uh, it's now extended a little bit on what's called Ream Island, but this is where the music is playing, so to speak. And they wanted a second CBD where they have a little bit more of government building, um, uh, sorry, embassies, uh, but also like uh, higher residential densities and stuff around this area. It's called Capital District, and it was supposed to look like this. Um, so um, this was then supposed to be, and by the way, we need to talk about distances here as well. The distance, because everyone is thinking, oh, this is and the distance between here and here is like uh, 25 kilometers. It's, it's quite a distance. So this center was then meant to be the center for those suburbs. So those suburbs would have something, the people living in the suburb would, would have this center to, to actually commute to or to go for shopping and, and, and other um, purposes. Now this is how this area looks today. Um, it's completely either failed or delayed. I mean, I would say it's failed because what happened here is they started to build one, I mean, only the road network for one of the high-density spines. There was supposed to be this big circle in the middle, one high-density spine here, one high-density spine there. Uh, and what they did here or do already now is building villas. 
so the villa type has won. The reason, by the way, this is one reason, is that um, the government always wants to also give to the local people, the population, the local population, the Emiratis, comprise only for 17, 16, 17 percent of the total population. And the government doesn't only want to spend on things the expats are using or other people are using, so they want to give their own people something. So there's a high pressure to the decision makers to provide these, these villas also in more um, uh, attractive, closer to the city spaces. So this project is basically dead. It looks like this picture from Apostolus. Um, and um, if you look at the, 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 the dominant um, housing, so what we see is now here the, the capital district is completely empty, surrounded by the suburbs we were talking about. Lowest density you can possibly imagine. You have plots, most of them are not even built up. Um, and even, even if they were built up, they were like extremely low Amer American suburb type um, uh, low density. 43% um, of the population live in those very few areas here. This is amazing. By the way, the existing CBD has less of the function of, of, of being like a business district. It's, it's, it's really like a high density residential area. And 73% um, uh, of the total area, build up area, is consumed by the suburbs. And only, so 43% live in 10%, occupy 10% of the space, and vice versa. And this is creating an extreme, and now I come back to the public transport, uh, to the transportation issue, this is um, inducing extreme long travel distances. So from here to the CBD, that's 40 to 50 kilometers. There's one area, because this is five years back, the Madinat uh, Riyadh, uh, which is already further, that's above 50 k from there to the city. And there's no crystallization point where people could actually travel to get, I mean, there are some malls here, but that's it. So people have to travel 50 kilometers. This is inducing, the travel induced in terms of vehicle mileage is 50, oh, sorry, 40 million kilometers, vehicle kilometers a day. This is four to five times higher than you will find in any European city with a similar vehicle fleet size, not population size, but vehicle fleet size. So this is an extreme, extreme issue. Um, now the second thing I wanted to talk about is the failure to introduce an effective public transport system. Now, as part of this plan, 2030, there was a, 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 a transportation master plan as well. It was as well quite pro progressive. It had a 30% mode share for public transport target. So the, 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 the target was to, to make 30% of the people use the public transport. On the island, it was 45% that target. And they actually um, created um, you know, a couple of, there were many suggestions, and then it was downsized and changed. I mean, this is a normal process. So you had here a spine of metro or LRT, then the metro going um, to the mainland, to the capital district, and then further to the airport and further south. Um, this um, was planned. It was a little bit scaled down to what's called phase one. There was also like a tram network on the, on, you know, on the, on the high-density spine we have seen on the picture before, and a supporting bus network. This is just images of the station, quite fancy, of the LRT. And, of course, nothing happened. What we still have today is a number of buses. It's not too bad, the buses are fine, but they have to run these immense distances to the suburbs, which are 50 k's away. So the, the, the service level is not, not quite good, and as, as you have seen, it only, only covers only 3.84% of, of, um, um, of, the, of the traffic. Now, the, the argument of the government is that they, they, they run out of money because of the crisis, they want to be more careful. Um, regarding uh, the resources they spent. Um, this is a very, very interesting 
uh, comparison of numbers because the numbers happen to add up to the same amount. I just wanted to give you an example to contradict the, uh, the, the statement of the government. Now, it's comparing three different modes of transport, railways, roadways, airways. Now, railways, this would be, sorry, this would be the 15th, the amount which would be necessary to build the phase one of the metro, 15 billion dirham, that equates to roughly $4 billion or 3.2, 3.3 billion pounds sterling. The same amount, and that's really interesting, that is the economic cost of operating all the cars. I talked about the 40 million kilometers a day. You can extrapolate to a year and then look at how, how much the economic cost of that is. That is exactly the same. So in one year, the operation cost, that doesn't include any of the infrastructures, only the, the economic cost to operate the cars is also 15 billion. And also another spending of the government just to, give, to, to put those costs into perspective. Um, the government spent between 2017 and 2019, that's pre-COVID, has nothing to do with COVID, 15 billion to uh, subsidize the uh, national carrier Etihad Airways. So that's, that's exactly the same amount. Now, the third, I just would, would just do this very quickly. Yes. Uh, the third, I think, most important uh, or important, uh, maybe most important um, element is the outdated road design and the overcapacity. Now, roads are separated normally by a median. They, they, there's a right and right out configuration. I show this in a second. There are no left on, mostly roundabout. That increases the vehicle mileage driven in the suburbs. Um, we have an over hierarchy of the road system. There's an extreme width of right of way on highways and main corridors. Um, and the road capacity is far beyond, beyond demand. Uh, and there's an over-provision of, of parking. Abu Dhabi has one of the highest minimum parking requirements in the world. This is mostly borrowed from United States uh, road manuals. Quickly, 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 again, to answer your question, it's the fast pace of development. They brought in some engineers that came from Egypt. They studied in the US. They were asked, bring us a road manual. They brought the road manual from 1961. From, from, from. This is why it looks like this. And this is completely outdated. What you have is this over-hierarchy. Over you have roundabouts, a median, so you cannot turn left, you can only turn right. So if you, come, if you want to travel from here to here, what you do is you drive here, you have to go here, then here, around this roundabout. <laughs> or you can go here. It's, it's really like this. Go up, right turn, roundabout. And if you want to walk, it looks like this. If you want to operate a bus to come back to the issue of introducing public transport, how on earth do you introduce public transport here? This is how it looks. And even worth the over-hierarchy, um, so this is a highway, and then you have um, this second road. I wouldn't even know how to call it, like a feeder road or arterial road or something. Service. Service, uh, services, like just on the side. Of, this is another hierarchy, which they don't have here. They only have it in the city. So like three-level hierarchy just to serve these villas. That's it. This is nothing. This, in, in a European suburb, this would be served by a maybe not even like a one-lane road, maybe. And this is how it looks. On Google, on Google Maps, uh, Google Earth, it, it looks harmless, but this is how it looks in reality. This is the highway, uh, and sorry, this is the highway, and no one will ever cross this. No one will ever walk from one neighborhood to the other. Another example, University of <laughs> Apostolus. We had this a couple of times. If you just want to, no, this is not probably working. If you just want to offer, just to give you an example, a bus, a bus is supposed to stop at a university. There's only a highway, so what you do is like you could put put a bus stop here, and then there's a small pedestrian bridge, looks like this. You could, but it's not allowed since a couple of years, 
for, for obvious reasons, safety, you can't you know, stop a bus here. So what you do is you have to you know, create a bus route which goes all the way to the next exit, of course, roundabout, cross roundabout. This is five kilometers. Five kilometers, and you completely screw your... How, you, how, how are you supposed to build a bus network? Because the bus is supposed to go further out. So you need an extra bus just to serve the university. It's, this is completely outdated. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do it. Now parking, my last and favorite thing. This is not a joke. It looks like Kafka had access to Photoshop or something. It's not. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit because it's actually it's an overflow parking for uh, an event center that is closed and it has never been used except for COVID test center. But this is a parking next to a residential area. And it's, if you zoom in, it, it's really parking. You have a few cars here. This is amazing. This looks like a joke. And it's not. Now I've passed my time. I we had these questions looking for answers as of why. Uh, I think I just leave it because we should leave it to the discussion. Okay? Because I thank you very much, Peter. <laughs> Immediately on behalf of Clemence, uh, back to you, Apostolos. Yep. What does all of this mean for urban life? So uh, I won't be able to feel like Lemance's shoes. Uh, she has her own special way on presenting this part of, of the equation. Uh, but uh, I will try to talk about the social aspect of, of all this image about the city of Abu Dhabi and most of the cities of the GCC. So the cars fitted from day one to that environment the horizontality, uh, the, the lack of obstacles, uh, and uh, uh, the um, speed with which the urban uh, network and the road network was developed in the 60s, 70s, and the 80s. The road infrastructure was treated as a novelty, and uh, as I said, Sheikh Zayed, one of the major things that he had to do was to modernize not only the city, the infrastructure, but also the people that were to leave their tribal and, uh, and Bedouin lifestyle and move and settle down to an urban lifestyle that was most difficult part to do. Somehow, privacy and all the uh, daily practices of, of people fitted with the car mentality really, really well. During the 70s and the 80s, uh, we have uh, the, the mainland, uh, the island being generated the way we know today with the superblocks, as you can see. The highways that surround the superblock uh, started getting the shape uh, that we see today, but also the interior of the superblocks with the uh, villas in the middle uh, remained more or less the same. It is only the outline of each superblock that raised uh, to higher densities. I call it the watermelon superblock uh, for, for obvious reasons. But the Arab street, the, the, the true street, because of the Arabic populations, because of the scale that was remaining the same up to that point, tried to resist a little bit within the center of each superblock, but not on the highways. Of course, later when uh, the suburbs dominated. Uh, we have that explosion of the automobile, the break of that circle that was continuing, and we have 
uh, new entities coming up uh, to, to emerge, uh, just like uh, the uh, labor camps that are far away from the city uh, and the expat exclusion zones uh, that are mostly located uh, at the waterfront areas. Um, I have to say that this horizontal segregation is followed also on transportation modes. People that don't afford cars are using either formal bus transportation, which is the ordinary bus networks that you know, or informal ones, the white buses that are uh, taking laborers from their camps to their uh, development uh, areas, their construction sites, and back to their houses when the day is over. Or smaller buses that collect and pick up laborers to go from one place to the other on a very informal basis. And that's how this part of the population was able and still today is able to cope with the lack of any other means of public transportation. Of course, this uh, dualism, this uh, uh, segregation element still remains, unfortunately, in big parts of the city. And it was fed from the very, very beginning. The master plans that I showed earlier were stating, clearly stating, two modes of housing, for example, national housing and housing for expats, not in that wording, but investment housing. Housing that would belong to the nationals, to the Emiratis, but they would invest in that to rent to expatriates, which led to that separation. Labor camps, however, interestingly enough, are maybe spaces that are now very pedestrian friendly. <laughs> And, uh, and this is just a glimpse of, of some of them. Uh, some of uh, them are very far away from the city, as you saw them before. And um, of course, uh, this is a, a good one. We could show many more uh, that are not quite the same um, level of, of uh, open space. And even indoors, uh, it, it could get even worse sometimes. Uh, but uh, you have a feeling of uh, uh, that being the only place where actually uh, pedestrian uh, environments are somehow celebrated. There are different kinds of uh, resistance, though, and it comes mostly from the expatriate population, which, as Peter said, it is up to 85 to 87% of the total population. And it comes to the form of informality. It comes to the form of um, socializing in public spaces um, by following national and social and sometimes labor characteristics. So when um, uh, there were, uh, our work is finished, everybody gathers at some point to exchange news from back home or to exchange news from work, etc., etc. There are corners in the city that are organized in this manner. And these are uh, corners that are uh, having uh, some kind of uh, uh, national approach. I mean, uh, this is uh, the Yemeni corner. People from Yemen uh, live nearby and they come every afternoon and 
gather and talk about their country. This is the beautiful Bangladeshi square uh, down there with this beautiful tree in the middle where uh, expatriates from Bangladesh gather every afternoon to socialize as well. Boundaries still remain. The public space divides people, but uh, uh, connects people, I'm sorry, but also divides them at the same time through fencing on the medians of roads in Musafa. It allows people to gather, but there is another distinction as well between day and night, and it's quite evident in this part of the world uh, because of the climate, because of the harsh environment and the temperatures. Abu Dhabi, especially from April to, uh, let's say, October, November, becomes nocturnal, and it allows people, actually people can only go out at night and socialize and take advantage of the public space and customize every single piece of public or private place that they can come across uh, by different ways as you can see from uh, playing football or cricket or even volleyball and have internal championships uh, uh, between communities. They try to do that on islands uh, between uh, parking spaces, as Peter said, that are vast and occupying unnecessary space uh, all around the city. But there are also uh, elements of resistance even from locals, uh, but also from expatriates as well, in terms of customizing, re-adapting the street or the road, uh, better to say, uh, by extending their housing and their living room into that uh, road surface that is very difficult to deal with uh, by using furniture, by um, creating fences to privatize this space or to protect it uh, or to um, welcome people and family members uh, in order to uh, spend an afternoon uh, over there. Uh, but it's mostly a place of gathering, a place of uh, exchanging conversations together. And this is something that is, is really worth it in, in terms of how people react uh, into uh, the massive uh, rights of way, into the totally um, barren and full of obstacles, sidewalk, uh, and all the buildings that are in between. Uh, so this customization, this uh, effort to uh, gain a little bit back from that space that is not used is uh, a, a very optimistic uh, point that we need to stress out uh, on, on how formally and informally people try to uh, reclaim part of what is lost by the streets and by the roads, I'm sorry. Uh, but also it is a constant point of reference uh, for um, all the authorities on how uh, actually roads have to be converted back to streets. Thank you very much. A second time. <laughs> yeah, let's gather here um, in front again, and we have uh, ten minutes left. Uh, any questions? Let's take three in a row. If you could say who you are again, that would be nice. Over there. Wait for the microphone. 
Mario. Um, I'm Axel Pario. I'm a graduate uh, urban designer at Jacobs, so one of the aforementioned um, engineering companies. I sorry. <laughs> um, you briefly touched on at the beginning the question of active traveling, but how realistic is it to for um, to encourage those models and to reshape the street um, in relationship to the cli climate challenges? Um, is it something that seems actually possible? I know I've been working on projects around Saudi where there's a real will for this, but it's very complicated when you start discussing with people. Um, Great, thank you. First question. Who else would like to come in? Please, gentlemen, second row. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Ahmed. I'm from Saudi Arabia, and I'm doing my PhD at UCL in urban design and planning. Uh, so actually my question is very related to what you're saying is that the question that came in the beginning about why and many people in that region think that because of the weather and the heat then khalas, like, we have to use the cars, everything has to be design, designed around cars. However, if we look at the, you know, the older neighborhoods in the city and how like shade and how they were designed is actually you know normal and people can walk. So and now with the new projects in Saudi because um, I used to work before I came to my PhD, this question always comes up is like, should we, you know, design for cars, you know, because the climate, but uh, the good thing is that from the client side now, many people are, you know, uh, advised and like very keen on like swappability and like improving that. So also it's the people on the client side approving these plans when they have the expertise and like the, um, you know, the will to accept certain plans is that how change could happen. Great, thank, thank you. you. And one more? Over there. Thank you. Hi, my name is Belinda Perriman, just a former resident of the UAE and fascinated <laughs> by this topic. Um, so there was something about the Arab streets. Um, I know it's Clemence's work, but I really felt there was something there and, you know, what was retained that was good, you know, how many of them are, what aspects did you see? Could some of that be developed further? So, just to dig down a bit, I think I miss what you were trying to say around the Arab Street. Thank you. So let, let's just uh, start with Alex. We'll go along the panel, pick the questions uh, or aspects which you want to talk to, and we'll do the same for the others. So I, I think regarding your question on active modes, I think it is something that I saw in Abu Dhabi is that somehow there's cycle lanes along the desert and along the highways and who are you know what are they connecting to and who is using it and I feel that if you really want to take people out of their cars you have to design these for those who drive and for that you need to increase mixed use densities and if you should focus on short distances because also when the weather is hotter you don't want people to cycle for 10 kilometers right so I think it's all about how you build in the future so you have to invest in, it's kind of a cycle. You can't invest in cycle lanes without investing in changing the, the whole urban form and the mixed use in particular. So I think short distances focus on that and, 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 and mixed use in, in neighborhoods that are mostly linked to, in this case, to Emiratis or those who drive the most. Um, and then also uh, in terms of weather, I think, you know, going also back to the basics of being 
and picking up on, on Philip's uh, pr uh, papers on compact and connected. You know, if you build compact and if you build connected, then you know you can have a city that is used and uh, uh, that it's used and appropriate to the climate. And a lot of the cities have that in mind when they grew organically, and now we kind of lost that. So going back to some of the basics, including some of the new modern technologies, of course, I'm not saying we should build the way we built before, but a lot of that, you know, the way we designed uh, uh, our, our historically our cities that were more compact and connected, I think it works also if you invest on that in the future. I, I, I believe that, <laughs> that too. Just to add to that, uh, it is an emphasis to passive strategies that we are always looking after uh, when we design. And um, let's not forget that Abu Dhabi, unfortunately, was the only city in, in the region that lost uh, the old core that I showed you earlier. Many other cities have kept it uh, uh, in reminding them of, of how the old core, the whole density used to be. Uh, but Abu Dhabi has lost, it has lost its point of reference somehow. Um, if, I can, if I can go back to the Arab street, uh, I could say that um, originally it was there, and then it was lost because of the eradication of the old uh, uh, city, uh, because of this very fast transition to a, a new, completely new model, uh, that was based on uh, modernist uh, urbanism, uh, extreme zoning, low densities, and uh, vast distances. Uh, so, um, people are trying to go back to that, uh, trying to go back to, to the mentality and to the vibrance of the Arab street. Uh, and uh, whether this is densification that we are, uh, uh, that we want to mention here, or it is some kind of stimulating public spaces uh, in a pointy manner, uh, or uh, having uh, nodes and hubs uh, on an urban level that would function as uh, pilots and leaders into that densification, it could lead back to this uh, revisiting of the street of the Arab street and on the notion of the Arab street in, in, uh, instead of the road that is mostly and primarily and solely for cars. Uh, so there have been there have been some answers. Uh, the streetscape in some parts of Abu Dhabi has been improved but, some, uh, but it's not uh, always uh, the best of practices. Uh, we've seen some solutions like mixed Roads, mixed-use roads. Uh, uh, they're trying to. They're trying to come up with some ideas on how to implement that. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. Thank you, Peter. Just very briefly, I guess, because we should move on. Right. I mean, the, the, I just want to comment on the climate uh, um, argument, which comes up all the time. And to me, and someone who is a, has been a resident of the region as well, it's completely unvalid. Number one, it's look at the population. Where do the people come? I mean, we always look from from our Western or Nordic kind of uh, perspective. Uh, but even I, I mean, I lived there. I took the bus. I was standing at the bus stop. I was going on the street. There are maybe two, three months in the summer where it's unbearable. But the rest of the time, yes, you you find your well. And 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 I speak as someone who's 
who's maybe not as much used as many other people are who come from Pakistan, India, they are much more used to that, that high tax. For them, it's, it's, it's quite normal. Uh, but um, maybe more importantly, just, just, just turn it around. Did anyone ever ask me, look at, why is Holland, uh, the, why is the Netherlands so, so advanced in, in, in riding cycles? Strongest wind, it, it's cold, it's, I mean, everything is, is at worst. The same arguments apply there. I mean, if there's a reason, I would agree. I mean, the more difficult part, I guess, is not the climate. It's maybe the culture of the locals, but that's only 16, 70%. Like, what are the women doing? Can they mix with other genders, with other tribes, so with other experts and stuff? But, so this is maybe the more tricky thing. How do, how do you operate a bus and allow women to have enough space and stuff? But when it comes to the whole climate versus, you know, going out, activity outside, I think it's completely... Completely I just want to add that there's a, many cities that are very hot and they're very walkable mm -hmm. uh, all over the world. So you have cities in America and then Central America and you have India and Pakistan that which temperatures are quite hot. But the way they grew uh, supports walkability. And I think the question of access to oil and, 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 you know, and land at the same time uh, led to a growth that now it's a bit difficult to Great. Now, very unfortunately, we need to bring this to a close, but there's also good news because exceptionally, on this occasion, if you have more time, you can hang around and join us opposite, right in this wonderful building, our old building. We will be formally opening uh, the exhibition uh, about Abu Dhabi Disconnected. There'll be also uh, some drinks and nibbles, so please join us for some follow-up uh, conversations. Now, I want to close this part of the evening by thanking uh, Kendall Livingston from the Middle East Center for organizing, uh, Eman for the logistical support, and I would also, of course, like to thank the panel for their excellent presentations and all of you for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.